podcast back again. I don't know why I'm always surprised that we keep doing this, but for some reason I am. My name is Abby Mickey, and as always, I am joined by Amy Jones. Oh, do you do that on purpose? Because I was looking in an opposite direction to the screen, isn't it? No, I was not paying attention <laughs> oh. to where you were looking. Why? Okay. I don't know. I was just like wondering. I was expecting you to go to Lauren first. Do I, I not like usually? I usually switch it up. I try to switch it up. I know. I need to be on my toes. It's early. Anyway. Hello, anyway. Gracie Elvin. Hello. Hello. Nice to be here again. And Lauren Rowney. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. And today we're going to talk about Trofeo Alfredo Binda. Three people on this podcast, one of their favorite races. Gracie, you can explain to us why you're not a fan later if you want. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there was also Nokura Corsa over the week, which was crash heavy and ended in a pretty exciting could you even call it a sprint? I don't know. This week coming up, we've got just like a ton of Belgian racing. We're well into the Belgian classic season at this point. So before we dive into it, this week's episode is brought to you by Velocio Apparel, focused on finding a better way in cycling apparel design, sustainable manufacturing, and culture. Velocio has won accolades, awards, and a committed following thanks to its high-performing bib short collection. Tested in real-world conditions at every level, Velocio backs all apparel, including their bib shorts, with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Buy, try, and return the bibs, no questions asked, if they don't meet and exceed every expectation. For a limited time, use the code CYCLINGTIPS at your checkout for 15% off your first order. You can learn more at velocio.cc slash cyclingtips. That's V-E-L-O-C-I-O dot C-C slash cyclingtips. I love that they're sponsoring an episode because we're all pretty big fans. What's everyone's favorite bib shorts? Because I really love the Lux. Lux. Yeah, I was going to say Lux. That's yeah. my fave. Hands down. I love the laser cut. Mm. Yeah. The concepts are really good. The, the like high end ones that are a different fabric. So in the summer, those ones are amazing, but the mm. Lux are just. Which are the ones that you can just pull down and have a way and on all of them. Yeah. It's a game changer. I've never had that before and it's so good. And We're not- cause I go to trail riding as well. I've got the trail shorts over the top of regular Nicks cause I didn't, I haven't purchased the under shorts yet for my trail shorts, but the bib mix, the Lux is still so good under the trail shorts. Plus, I'm not wearing a jersey with a zip when I go trail riding. So that's even better again that I don't have to undo a, uh, take off a shirt without even undoing a zip. So big points for that. And I'm collecting them all in different colors because I just love all of the colors. <laughs> cool. And they have some new ones that they just released actually um, on the website. I'm very yeah. excited about the transitions line. Mm. Mm, I don't think I'll look as cool as the models, but um, that would be my hope. Yeah, they get some pretty cool models. You guys, did I miss a briefing before this conversation? You know, like all the details, (laughs) and I'm just like, I like the green one. (laughs) (laughs) I am a huge fan of Velocio's stuff. And I mean, not just their bibs, like they've got some incredible jerseys and stuff. I really love the micromodel jersey. I know Lauren talked about it when she was pregnant last year, how that mm-hmm. jersey is like amazing for the changing body of a pregnant woman. Thank you so much to Velocio for sponsoring this episode. We love you guys. Let's let's talk about Binda. Trofea Alfredo Binda, one of the non-Belgian early season one-day races, non-Belgian, non-Dutch. 
it was a pretty exciting race. There was some questionable tactics in my opinion, but we'll get into it. The win by Elisa Balsamo was super impressive. And I feel like for me, one of the major takeaways was that Trek really committed to that, uh, to Balsamo. They had Elisa Lamborghini in multiple moves that went and she wasn't working, which was maybe questionable at the time, but made sense in the end when they all committed to Balsamo for the sprint. Yep. Agree a hundred percent with that. I guess the, a big talking point is the, well, firstly, I want to mention FDJ because I thought they were super aggressive from as soon as the, the live coverage came on, um, starting with Brody Chapman, I think it was. And I thought that was a really good break, actually, that could have spent a bit more time out front, but got shut down a little bit too soon. But um, because the composition was just so good, uh, obviously DSM missed it. And I think... No, UAE were present or no? They'd missed it as well. No, no, they had. They had someone. Yeah, so it was was like. Was it McNaldi? I think they had Erica McNaldi in there. Yeah, it was a perfect composition. I thought, oh, this might spend some time out there. But, um, yeah, sometimes so unpredictable how this race is going to pan out. But I was impressed with how aggressive FDJ were. Um, I was hoping Marta Cavalli would have gotten up there for a really good result. but. Obviously, it came down to that re- really reduced bunch sprint. But SD Works is where I have my head sort of sc- scratching my head a little bit. Yeah, I agree with uh, with your uh, FDJ take. They were they were super aggressive pretty much the entire race that we got to watch. I mean, with Cavalli and Utrecht Ludwig, I think I've been critical of their tactics in the past, but they they did well playing off of each other and covering multiple moves and stuff. And so I was impressed with that. And at one point when Utrecht Ludwig was off the front solo, I was like, oh my gosh, is, is this finally it? <laughs> Cause it was one lap to go and the race has been won mm-hmm. that way before. So I was thinking, oh my gosh, like we're finally, she's finally going to do it. She's finally going to take this race. Cause she's been on the podium three, four times. She's been up there so many times in this race. And what, I don't really know like what happened in when, uh, Marlon Rusa was all of a sudden off the front solo. And then, uh, Utrecht Ludwig was in a, in the three person chasing group with, uh, Elise Shabby and Elise Longborghini. Cause the, the helicopter was like over the race at that point and we didn't get the in-race moto coverage. So I, f- I think Rusa like attacked and passed Utrecht Ludwig and then she was caught by chasers, but that was also, that was another quality, quality attack. And the attacks that Cavalli put down in the final, on the final climb, she was like nose breathing. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> go harder. <laughs> But she just looks so composed all the time. I had some problems because I didn't watch it live. I was watching GCN and I was having some problems with the app. Usually it's fine. But I I was like, is this, am I getting the extended highlights or the just the highlights? I don't know. took me a while to figure it out. Finally, I got to watch it. But, yeah, it was kind of hard to keep up with. And then it was a shame we missed that point where Rusa had overtaken uh, Cecily because that, yeah, it seems that uh, Rusa is quite good technically and it would have been interesting to see 
how that had happened on the descent by the look of it, if it was like through a corner or I don't know, something interesting like that. Um, I, I found it interesting that some of the smaller teams, I hate to say smaller, but like Park Hotel putting in some of the chasing as well in the latter part of the race when there was those four riders up the road. Um, I just don't know if that was their responsibility to do that uh, when other teams clearly had more at stake. Uh, But I, yeah, I think I agree with Lauren as well that some of the tactics by SD works are a bit questionable and especially in the final, I'm not really sure what they were trying to achieve with their lead out, especially with Chantel in fourth and the person who looked like they were leading out in fifth. <laughs> I think the, so the Park Hotel shot that you're talking about, the co- the coverage was confusing. Oh, yeah. There was, there was like multiple things going on at once and they were jumping in between the Peloton, nice. yeah. quote unquote, in the front and then like Peloton number two. And Park Hotel was leading Peloton number two because we were right. when we were watching it, like Danny said the same thing on the live coverage, like they don't really have this responsibility. But I was watching that, and then they cut to Sile off the front, and the people chasing her were not Park Hotel. It was the it was Rusa and SC Works basically chasing her. So I I was confused with the coverage. There was also like there was a lot of scenic shots, which is great. Um, but I feel like we miss a lot of racing with the scenic shots. So, <laughs> but and also yeah, going a back lot of to, one castle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> going back to SD Works, one point where I was like, "What is she doing?" Ashley was attacking, and then you could just see in the background. I always say her name wrong. Neem Fisher Black pulling, and I was thinking, like, "What are you doing? Like, why? Why would you be doing that?" Actually. And then, um, of course, when that final sort of group went and they had two represented, I mean, Balsama was having a good day. She, she looked really good all day. She didn't have to do a thing. Trek rode fantastically. 9.5 times out of 10, as she comes to the finish line in that group, she's going to win. So why in God's name would you, would you allow it to come to that in a sense? So I know that they had two riders represented in that group and FDJ did as well. But the fact that you had those two teams with two riders, that break was never going to succeed, which is a bit of a shame because that would have been the best opportunity there for a result from any one of those riders. Um, I would have been more inclined to be attacking that group than just sitting on um but yeah i don't know there, there were lots of things and like gracie said in in the finish there too um yeah chantal i would have picked her to be a top four or five but you wouldn't have said that she would have been the rider to to beat balsama you just didn't want to go the line with her essentially and it all kind of played into the hands of trek in the end but fantastic for them that they backed her 100 percent I know a lot of people picked Elisa for the win that day, but I didn't think based on the races we've seen, she's not where she was this time last year. She was never going to ride away on that climb. And they also just don't have the power on the team track right now to 
launch an attack for Elisa. Like I remember last year. It was just like, it was a, yeah, it was like a full team effort to get that move up the road with Ruth and Taylor putting in attacks right before. And they don't really have that depth at the moment with Lizzie out and um, Taylor out. So I feel like Trek did the absolute best that they could with what they had. And Aliza still had a good race, making sure that she was present in moves that did go and then shutting them down really by not working because that, that one move with Rusa, Shabi and um, Utrip Ludwig was a pretty dangerous move. Like those are four really strong riders and yes, they're missing some teams in there, but they have the teams that are going to do the chasing. So and for Eliza to be in that group and just be like, nope, not working. I think that she was the instigating factor that made that whole that whole breakaway just completely shut down. But I mean, it's not every day we see SD Works like really botch the race tactically. So I think it's it's just super interesting that they they came to the race with a much younger team. They had um, Chantal and they had Ashley as far as experience but the rest of the team is relatively new to racing and and relatively young and i was impressed with neve fisher black she was present a lot of the day but i i feel like with the team that they had they should have just been a lot more aggressive and there was one point when they were leading they were going into the climb and i think it was uh Anna Shackley was on the front and she was going quite hard and Marlon Rusa came up and, and told her to stop. And I was kind of confused about that because if there was a team that could have pulled off the similar tactics to what Trek pulled off last year, it was SD works. They had multiple riders who could have made that climb a lot harder and really reduced that group even further and maybe got rid of Balsamo and they they really didn't play to their strengths at all, I felt like. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Gracie, you've, you've raced this race a few times. Abby, you've also raced it. That's, race is a generous term, but yeah. Well, I wouldn't say I raced it. I showed up to the start line. I was a participant. I was a participant. <laughs> but to, to really make a difference on that course, it can be a really hard course if it's raced super hard. So that climb, like if it is just fireworks leading, like basically full out lead into it and then fireworks on the climb, that's where you wear down those sprinter type riders and you just won't see a balsamo at the end. But five years ago, that's exactly how Corinne Rivera won it was, you know, if, if that climb isn't raced hard enough and those breaks aren't dangerous breaks that are going to stick, then it just, it's the sort of climb you can get over if it's not an attacking climb. And that's basically what we saw here. So still fun race to watch, but frustrating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe one of the differences this year was that there weren't really any pure climbers there to just have such clear intent. It kind of looked like a lot of the teams were sitting on the fence of how they wanted it to play out. So there was no Anamique there, for example, to just go all out every time they went up every climb. It looked like the peloton was being somewhat conservative. There was definitely some attacks and 
as you said, FDJ were the main instigators of that. But overall, it didn't look like a super hard version of this race, which can be quite, uh, uh, yeah, can leave a much smaller group usually. It was quite a big group there at the end relative to other years. I wonder if the eight-kilometer neutral in the middle of the race had anything to do with that because at that point in the race, they're – done they're just through the big lap with the the bigger quote-unquote climb and then that's where the legs like kind of start to crack a little bit before the four loops that like really do damage to the peloton but they had because of a car accident that happened outside of the race but in front of the race they had to do a detour an eight kilometer long detour that was neutral so at that point you know, you're spinning out the legs a little bit. You're not obviously riding super hard. And I wonder if that made a difference in the race at all. Also, give people time to catch their breath. Yeah, a little bit of recovery kinda, before yeah. the four. Might have had something to do with that. Not a ton that they can do about that. Um, so I just think it's interesting that Gracie said, like, it's almost as if I can't remember how you worded it, but it was like as if none of the teams really knew what their tactics were like who they were riding for or what except was that trick yeah except yeah it was just like oh well, let's it's just also, throw everything and see what happens yeah it's kind of and it's still a big race but I feel like it's a less prestigious race than what it used to be compared to some other bigger races that we're seeing now mm. and maybe they just don't send their like there was a lot of top riders there but even if they have their A team there, it was a bit more of a free for all of just like it's a it's a race that doesn't quite fit into the narrative of the rest of the spring season. So just mm. you know have some fun with it, use it for a form finder, take your chances, and we can have rider A try and get on in a break, and if that doesn't work, we'll have rider B try to do this more bunch sprint. So I felt like a lot of teams were playing that card. I wonder. Like this is where the calendar like makes no sense. And if we could, the races in Belgium are obviously iconic and it, because of that, they're not super keen to change around the dates of the calendar. But what if this race was right after Strada? Like it would, it would be totally different. But if the Peloton stayed in Italy, for another week and race this race instead of going back to Belgium. I mean, this has been floated many times, many years, <laughs> and Drenta has been willing to change their date to do the swap because it doesn't make sense, but Binder doesn't ever want to do the swap. Really? As far as I know. That's so disappointing because the they would get so many better riders if they if they did swap they would the race would be tactically better it just if it was if there was some kind of continuity to the calendar doesn't make a whole lot of sense like you said now it does the rest of the program when you look at it so we start with um Dupana on Thursday then we have Gent Welderham and then it sort of slowly builds from there i think then it's Dwarsdorf Landeren halfway through the week then we have Flanders and then for the first time, we jump over to Amstel Gold and then we come back for Roubaix, which I thought, because, you know, usually it's that. What do you call it, Gracie? No, the, the there's, I think there's always been, oh, no, 
No, it's yeah, always that confused. golden, you called it, what's it, that, the week of? Yeah, the holy week. The holy week. Well, you have Flanders the one weekend, Roubaix the next, but actually there's yeah, two. Yeah, you're right. So that's, that's an interesting one. But, mm. again, you know, that's only three hours driving or something, so it's still in the same vicinity. And then, yeah. Because what we're seeing with the calendar right now is, like, the – I feel like a broken record. The newer world tour teams can't send teams all the way from Belgium to Italy or Italy to Belgium to Italy to Belgium. So like Uno X wasn't at the race at Trofeo Alfredo Binda. Um, the Kogas Mettler didn't go. Kogas Mettler is not their name anymore, but that team wasn't at Drenta. So we, we are seeing these teams that are world tour teams like unable to send rosters f- to the races because they can't go back and forth from Belgium to Italy. And like, yeah, I, which totally makes sense. I feel so bad for Tenille Campbell watching her race that Nokora Corsa on Wednesday and then go <laughs> to Binda and now have to go back to Belgium for um, like all the classics. That play though, she was still on the front doing her job. She yeah, really, she's riding she's really well. So impressive, yeah. But I mean, it's still like that's a lot. That that's exhausting. Uh, that travel and stuff. But some, but the teams just do not have the numbers to be able to do this kind of travel. And and let's just talk about sustainability too. If the UCI yeah. is really serious about their sustainability goals, the calendar is one of the things that they have to really look at and go, this traveling circus, like, what are we going to do about it? Yeah, because the cars are driving, like, teams are having to drive four, five cars, buses, all the way to Italy, all the way back to Belgium. Like, environmentally, the impact is not good. The whole sport, it's terrible, but let's not get into that. (laughs) (laughs) That's a big discussion. We could do a special podcast about that, Lauren. I I would love that. I would love we'll to bring Mar Abbott that. on. Oh yes, we've discussed this before. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But I mean, in the in the spirit of discussion, something that comes up every single year, and I feel like we should talk about is a women's Milan San Remo. Like, do we think that there should be a women's Milan San Remo? You mean like the same distance, 300 kilometers or whatever it Absolutely is? Absolutely not. See, that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. That's where we get into like the nuts and bolts of it because like the men's race doesn't even need to be that long. I get that it's like the history of it, but like. Oh, Abby, they're coming for you now. <laughs> no, like races do not need to be that long. That's it's freaking ridiculous. Like the men's race can stay how it is. It's whatever. But if there's a Milan San Remo for women, I would hope and pray that they would make it like a reasonable distance and an actually exciting race. But then again, like that's kind of what makes Milan San Remo, Milan San Remo. It's the fact that they have a 280 K before the race even like hits something that is exciting. And that's the reason it blows apart. So maybe a hundred and fifty women. Yeah. Like, yeah. like I just don't get are- it, Amy. You just, don't, get just don't get it, mate. I don't. I get. I don't, view- I don't know anything. <laughs> but as a viewer, like I don't know anyone who tunes in before twenty k's to go. 
pretty much. That's what we do every year. I do. Just. <laughs> yeah, I, I did watch a lot. I mean, if you want a lengthy nap, it's great because, you know, you just have that soft commentary in the background. And it's Ambiance. <laughs> Unless, like, it's a different race and it's something exciting. I think the, the finale of the race is fantastic. Um, particularly what we saw on the weekend, but leading up to that would have to be something very different. But there you go, just take the good bits. But you'd still have to make it, to be fair, I think you would still want it to be long, like yeah, much longer I agree. than normal one-day races. Probably 200. Yeah, I would say 180 to 200. It's a, it's a trivial event for the men, so why not make it a trivial event for the women? It's a one-off you don't have to watch it if you don't want to, but I think as a rider, it's actually attractive for for once to actually do something long because it's that's what it is. <laughs> that's the event. It'd be interesting to see how the women would race that, right? Because we, when we see them race anything over one fifty, it can sometimes and quoting riders be a boring race up until that last maybe 50 kilometres. Um, I think only once or twice in my career I raced a long stage, like 145 or so, 150, including neutrals. But um, it, tactically it would be something completely different, I think. Uh, and they wouldn't race it like the men because the women don't race like the men. So I think those two guys were out there for, what, 100 and no, they were out there for 270 kilometres. Uh, I would have agreed. I would have agreed with you five years ago, Lauren. But I think it actually has changed in women's cycling now. I think that it's it's it is not like the men in a lot of ways, but it's a lot more like the men than what it used to be. In that, that there's better depth in teams, and they're more willing to let a break up the road because they finally know how they they can control it. And they know that they have the firepower to control it if it's the right break. So I think if it was a long race, it actually would lend itself to being raced appropriately. They would let an early break go, whereas maybe five years ago it would be very negative because everyone is just hoping to get to the finish. But I think now that the level is good, the depth is good, they would race it properly. Yeah. And, I mean, God, who can keep up that? for like 200 k's like just attacks after attacks <laughs> like someone at some point someone's just gonna be like no it's just let something go Surely. Yeah, exactly and there'll be a lot of italian teams invited so they're always up for an early break yeah no I was, well in my um piece about this the other day like my arguments against it were basically the fact that binder's already there and the fact that I don't necessarily think that the women's calendar needs to be just like one big version of like the one, sorry, not one big version, but like a version of the men's with like just women's editions of every men's race that exists. But the Binder argument, I was like, oh, it's such an exciting race. Like it's usually like one of the best races, like big up the Sandler women's races. After yesterday, <laughs> I'm like, okay, no, let's, Let's have it in the lunch room. You take it back. <laughs> no, I don't know. I just think, yeah. Having discussed like the calendar situation too, I think that would make a hell of a lot more sense to have Binder come just after Strata and then why not put in 
send them up them climbs, whatever they're called. I forgot now at the end of the month on Raymond. There's something to say about women's cycling just copying men's cycling and just becoming like a different version of the same because what we what we have going for us in women's cycling is that we're not like men's cycling like that that's why the races are sometimes a lot more exciting and it's a lot easier to follow because there's less riders so it's like not as chaotic as having so many riders split between so many different races if that makes sense but so so my while I don't come I don't like want to make a blanket statement no there shouldn't be a women's wall on San Remo it would have I would say if there was it would have to be approached in a really careful way that it didn't impact Binda because while yesterday wasn't the most exciting race we've ever seen and was a little bit confusing tactically it's one of the longest running races on the women's calendar and i just would hate to see a race like that that's stuck around for so long and had live coverage before any of the others go go away because we were like well we want to race this the men's races Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so i feel like yeah it would if it was if they could somehow figure out how to have like the binda on Friday and then the, or like or binda on a Wednesday. Yeah. 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 And then have Milan San Remo on the Saturday. And so they, everyone just did the same two races like we have in Belgium, you know, something like that. Um, I'm less opposed to it, but I, but it, it worries me that women's cycling is just kind of, <laughs> melding itself in with the with men's racing because in a lot of ways it's good but in some ways it's not good i think what it's hard to get around there is that the problem i guess is that when you if you ask like i know a lot of riders were saying they would want milan san Roma, like elisa balsamo i mean naturally she's italian but i think what's happening is that because when these riders were coming through, there weren't that many women's races they could watch. Like, I don't know what standalone women's races existed back then, really, anyway. But for them, they've grown up watching the exact same races that, like, the men come through watching. So, they're like, these are iconic races. These are the races I want to race. Like, they have the prestige for the women, even though there aren't women's versions of them. And... I guess that's where a lot of that desire from them comes from. But I totally agree that like the standalone women's races must be protected at all costs. (laughs) I guess like you have to put aside loyalty, you have to put aside tradition and then you have to ask yourself what's best for our sport, who will provide the best organised races, the safest races, the races with the best coverage. Yeah. And even like tactically, like, I think a refrain has been like, oh, women's cycling is different. This is why it's good. Like, and yeah, to a degree, like that's obviously true. And it would be nice to still see like that sort of aggression in the racing that makes it exciting, not just like the formulaic way that men's racing can sometimes play out. But there's a certain inevitability that when the, as long as the depth keeps growing in the peloton, it is going to trend towards similar style of racing tactically. I think, I don't know what you guys Yeah, think but at that. the same time, we're watching men's racing kind of revert back to 
what women's racing is right now because mm. we've got people like Walt Van Aert and Vanderpool who are like just completely changing the way that the races are raced. So, yep, that's that's, very true. that's like a whole other rabbit hole. Yeah, I know, kind of where I'm sorry, guys. I opened one of those, didn't I, this morning for breakfast? I'm pretty sure I opened this rabbit hole. Did you? All right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> for once. Well, because it's an interesting conversation that whether or not there should be a women's equivalent of all of these big men's races, and I feel like there will be. There, like I've I've heard rumors about a women's Milan San Remo. No idea what it would look like, but I've heard the rumblings. We're gonna have a Lombardia, like. The, all of the men's quote unquote monuments are are working towards having women's racing at this women's races at this point. And um with the Tour de France femme of X Zwift, I feel like it's just more inevitable that more of these big men's races are gonna hop on the bandwagon, which is not completely a bad thing, but I feel like should be taken with caution. It's interesting too because when you look at like other sports and like on to an outsider or kind of on paper, equality would look like the exact same calendar, no, or like the exact same races or amount of races or whatever. And if you look at other sports like tennis, like men and women play all the same tournaments at the same time, and I know it's completely different, like logistically and that, then just sort of. I don't know what I'm trying to say to be honest it just popped into my head that like I guess in a way it's not it's not dissimilar like in fact maybe cycling's like an outlier slightly and having these separate events that are standalone events for women the best comparison would be just mountain bike and cyclocross still on two wheels the calendar is that kind of what you're getting at if you look at the world cup for mountain biking it's obviously the same day same coverage same course same organization, everything. Mm. Same with cyclocross, right? Regardless if it's a World Cup or just um, one of the other type of races, track as well. It's it's all run together. But yeah, the the point Gracie made, I think, is is the most important point that by having more women's races associated with these men's races, you're guaranteed of a certain standard and level generally speaking. I mean, Mm -hmm. we have seen some very unsafe situations in the men's racing too, but these like prestigious monuments, for example, they are run at the very highest level. So if, if that's transferred to the women's peloton, that can only perceived be perceived as a good thing, particularly when we compare it to the Giro, the Giro isn't run by the same organization as the men. And it's been as prestigious as it is for the women because of its history and, and all that, it's it's still there's still been some very dangerous situations, and it's just not run to the sort of level you would expect a world tour event to be run at. So that's my take a point point from that. Just to go on with all of those points is like it's actually not a bad thing to mirror the men's calendar. We what we don't want is to mirror their problems, the problems in men's cycling, mm. but the problems in men's cycling aren't necessarily related to the calendar. And it's the same as if you want a women's team that's related to a men's team, 
you don't want one if they're not going to do it properly and if it's an afterthought, but you do want one if they do want to do it properly and they do want to do a good job of it. So I see that the same with races and the current monuments that the women do that have been doing for a long time, such as Flanders and um, Flesh Wallone, would you take them out of the calendar? No, you wouldn't because they've become our traditions and they've, you know, apart from the coverage part of it, they've been run really well. <laughs> yeah, flesh so. alone. Oh, word. <laughs> yeah. But I agree. Agree with what you say, Gracie, for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's a it's a big topic and it's a tough one. But I, I really hope that there's going to be more depth in women's cycling so that you can keep races such as Binder and use them for as a point one race. It's still a pro race pro teams well teams can go to them but they teams are big enough that they can take their other team there <laughs> and you have a smaller world tour calendar with all of the good monuments and then you have an awesome point one calendar and you've got the ability to have two teams because you have enough people enough riders enough vehicles <laughs> that's the dream that's that's the good thing about men's cycling and then it opens up the possibilities for all those continental teams you know once that World Tour calendar is narrowed down a bit and the calendar just in general it has become quite big, then you open up those opportunities because even if you are a World Tour rider um, and you're on a team with 16-plus riders to go to a race like Binda and have an opportunity yourself to play a, a more important role than just riding the first 70Ks that you would do, say, in a World Tour race. Definitely. All right, moving on. Good discussion. We solved all of the problems, I think. We also had Nokura Corsa on Wednesday, so midweek cobbled classic that was worth talking about because of the Belgian classics that are coming up. The two takeaways from this race, in my opinion, were the crashes were horrendous, and I'm curious who will be sidelined or uh not on their game for the upcoming races because of these crashes and also that Lorena Weebus wow weaves is incredible oh my gosh wow she when she accelerated even, yeah it wasn't even like she she took the right line like the inside line on that corner was phenomenal but she also didn't even she didn't even sprint so much as like a seated acceleration that just left everyone in her dust. I mean, Lota Kopecky couldn't even couldn't even follow her wheel. It was like everyone else was standing still. It was crazy. She's just uh, she's really on another level at the moment. With she's just so fast and so powerful, and I'm very excited to see how she performs in these like the real big classics that are coming up because. We saw glimpses of it last year um, in that Lotto Belgium tour where she was climbing with Ellen van Dijk on the Moor de Harrisburg. So I think she's got incredible capabilities and uh, we're going to see even more from her. And when it comes to these races, I mean, last year she won Chaldeprice. So it was the only race of those uh, Belgian classics that she won, but she was still present at uh Bruges de Pana, although that one was that was the one where Grace Brown kind of outsmarted all the sprinters. And 
I think with the way that Weebs is riding this year, Team DSM is going to be way more inclined to put all their eggs in her basket. That sounds weird. Um, <laughs> and and go all in for her because based on how she won Drenta and then Aqua Corsa, it's like, why would you not just commit to her at that point? They got a pretty good card to play, though. With Kopecky, do we think that this is something I've heard floated uh, around? And I think maybe, Lauren, you mentioned it in the Strata episode. If her sprinting is going to be just a couple percent worse because of the way that she was able to climb at Strata. I'm not a coach or an expert in this, and I can only speak from personal experience, but when I've focused more on climbing at points, which was maybe once in my career, my sprint was just a little bit off, and then I would be the person who ran fourth all the time. Um, that's not Kopecky. She's still running second. But she doesn't have that quite that same explosiveness if you go back a few years um, and also she's not riding on the track at the moment. So she had the big goals around the, the Tokyo Olympics. And I guess, I don't know if she's planning to do track again in Paris, perhaps, but this wouldn't be the year that she's probably on the track and doing that sort of stuff. She's definitely climbing better. Um, but I think, yeah, the, that real pointy end sprint, she doesn't quite have the same ability as before I could be wrong it could be as well that we haven't really seen her go head-to-head with the likes of someone like Weebers in these situations um and yeah Balsamo can climb and sprint too so then that sort of is an argument against what I just said it's a very exciting it's it's exciting prospects for the races coming up that's for sure the Balsamo, Weebus, and also Kopecky, just the, the what it's going to mean for the races is... I'm excited. I'm excited to watch. Me too. Getting to the real meat of the classics. Yeah. yeah. And also, <laughs> I think um, it was a shame that Chloe Hosking crashed out because she really rode really strong in Drenta in a supporting role. So I think we're going to see some good stuff from her. Being on Trek, of course, it's going to be a bit hard because um, she might be more in a supporting role for some of the races. But who knows if I, I don't know how bad her injury was from the crash the other day. So hopefully she lines up for Bruges de Pana and can actually have a crack herself. I, think be I hope so. There was a lot of crashes in this race. I was chatting with Hannah Barnes and she said it was just complete chaos. The entire race was just insane. I mean, like, why though? Half the Peloton didn't finish. I th- it's just this race because I, I was talking to Tom's and I mentioned the the commentator, the Belgian commentator's <coughs> words about <laughs> the race. And Tom said that the men's race ex- is exactly the same. Like the men's race has just the last handful of years had horrendous crashes. And this is only the second year that the women have had a race, mm-hmm. I believe. But um, But apparently it's the same in the men's. So it must just be like a combination of wind, the wind and the cobbles or something. The yeah, fact that it's a midweek rain. race, so the, it's like a little bit less of a the World Tour peloton and there's some more smaller teams in there which can make it a little bit more crashy. Mm-hmm. 
but yes. Not as the Belgian commentator said, because the women can't handle. Because the women can't handle cobbles. Was that? Wait, is it? Is it old mate? My favorite. Yes, it's old mate. Why does name and shame? Come on, Ruben van Huck to whatever his name is. Well, you can get in the bin. He's horrible. (laughs) If my Dutch was at a fluent level, I should take his job. <laughs> Amy and I are going to commentate on Ghent Wavelgem this weekend. Yes, we've got yes. our alternative. <laughs> what do we need to do? Set up like a Discord? I don't know. Yeah, you should do it. It'd be fun. Fun fact. Yeah, Bruce, do it on Instagram. Yes. The live. Just do an Instagram live. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think like going into the races coming up, but. Be- be- before we record another episode, we've got Bruges de Pana on Thursday and Ghent Wevelgem on Sunday. Bruges de Pana is that race that's like pretty flat um, and has some notable crosswind sections. And last year we saw a group of elite sprinters kind of separate themselves from the peloton. And then Kopecky did like an incredible turn to get into that group when she missed it. And then Grace Brown attacked from that group and just kind of I'm uh, away. <laughs> yeah, rode away, but it was but it was also because I think the sprinters were they were all looking at each other a bit. And so she had that great opportunity to take take a world tour win last year. And uh Gent Wevelgem was the one where uh pretty sure Voss won it last year. And that was the one where the Trek Segafredo took advantage of the crosswinds to make a break with like four of them. <laughs> And then Elisa was like too strong and got a little bit too excited <laughs> and like rode off the Crazy. front. Yeah. So two really exciting races coming up and I'm um, really looking forward to seeing how they play out. Guys, it's beautiful weather here in Belgium. So I'm looking out my window and there's absolutely no wind and it's sunny and it's going to be 16 degrees. So Don't. It's not even funny. I left. I left Belgium on what day was it? I haven't seen this sun in two weeks. And the sky was blue and I landed in Spain and I was like, where has the sun gone? Yeah, it's gone. It's, it's crazy. Not, What's going on in Belgium? Until like Friday as well. I'm it's so going to be sunny here the whole week, guys. <laughs> I don't know where I am right now. <laughs> Just in Australia soaking up the sun. <sighs> yeah. yeah, Grace is like, what are you on about? <laughs> Always nice here. No, it's not really. It's been very wet. <laughs> Uh, that's better. All the better for mountain biking, right? No, yeah, it's terrible for the trails. Yeah, I don't. I never ride on wet back. trails, but they have got some good hero dirt right now. <laughs> Not like sopping wet trails, but yeah, that a little bit that, like slightly moist. I, I did runs. I did lifted runs for the first time a couple of weeks ago, and my training stress score was higher but it was like doubly higher than all the other endurance rides that I did that weekend. It was so hard and so fun. So we were on chairlifts on a ski resort and the chairlift takes you and your trail bike to the top and you just do the flow trails down. And it's so hard because like there's jumps and corners and I was chasing boys (laughs) (laughs) and I was just getting so cramped in my forearms because you're just like riding the bike so differently yeah that was a lot of fun that was some good hero dirt up there <laughs> have you been to derby blue derby i have been to derby and i'm going again in a few oh. weeks time and i'm taking kimberly for the first time so we're Yay. gonna shred and i'm gonna meet up with an old friend 
who is a bit of a cycling legend in Australia anyway, Rowena Fry. Oh, yeah. And she's going to show us some cool trails. So Nice. Yeah. For any very fans jealous. listening, she was on the first year of Green Edge as well as being a very good That's right. She rider. was. I forgot about that. That's a decade ago, mm. guys. Mm. We're getting old. Speaking of Blue anyway. Derby, and this is not relevant to road cycling, we're hoping to get Glenn Jacobs, who is a legend in trail building in Australia and across the world, at our summit in June. So that should be fun. Nice. Yeah. Well, this seems a perfect time to end the episode. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much. Can we much just talk about listening. mountain biking? We could. We uh, could no, I hear enough about that, actually. <laughs> Wait, oh, did you yeah. ever ride mountain bikes? I never knew. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We will be back next week to dive into the Belgian classics. This is the best time of year to be a cycling fan. So don't miss them. Thursday, Sunday. Yep. Thank you to Velocio for sponsoring this episode.